Hey yo, and here we go. Welcome to another episode of We Talk Music. I am your host, Mr. Brett Podcast, and I am truly pleased to be joined by a guitarist, a spectacular guitarist. And let me tell you, he plays for a band called Dokken, who I've been a fan of for a very, very long time. We have John Levin. John, how are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm ecstatic to have you because uh, I've been listening to Dokken for um, yeah a lot of decades now. <laughs> and, and so, hey, me too. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that includes 20 years of your guitar playing. And and right now, Heaven Comes Down is the new album, and yeah. it's it's my favorite of yours. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that. It means a lot. So yeah, um, let's talk about Heaven Comes Down first off. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time, long time coming. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, we spent a long time working on it, and uh, you know, it, the, the, things have changed so much in the music business. Like ever since Napster started, really, like every time we would do a record, we would think like, oh, "Are we going to do another one?" You know, like it. The business is so different. You know what I mean? So really, at this point, re- records are just a labor of love. That's the only reason to do it, which is really the only reason ever to do it. But I mean, at this point. Um, it's it's just for that purpose, you know what I mean? Because we 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 want to make music, and we hope the fans like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, it's it's like when Kiss came out and said that after Sonic Boom, right? That there's no point in making any any new music because people are only going to want to hear the classic stuff, anyways. Yeah, I mean that that's that's one way of thinking. Uh, Don and I, we both, you know, we're really just in it for the music, and at some point, from like a you know, not to get too like philosophical, but from like a, a sort of emotional, you know, spiritual perspective, we want to play, you know, we want to write. And when you have music and, and, and you, you know, um, you start recording things and you hear it, it, it sometimes, and, and if you're feeling, you know, something's going to really be very inspirational, you know, and then you want to just go for it. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, I mean, we've got five, five ideas here. Yeah, you know, five more. We can, maybe we got a record, you know, it becomes that, you know. Well, absolutely, because I, I mean, I guess, and this is the thing too. I mean, we, I've spoken to so many musicians that it's and and almost to a man, every one of them says like that this is what you do, and you keep making music because that's just part of your you know DNA at this point. Yeah. And so the idea of making albums, it still only makes sense in that regard because how else do you scratch that itch? I guess. Yeah, that's really it. I mean, once you're bitten by that bug, you know. It's hard to, you know, musicians need to get get the get the music out, you know. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I'll, you know, I'm, with me, like, you know, a lot of times ideas will come to me when late at night, like at three or four in the morning, when I'm semi asleep, you know. And then um, I'm just conscious enough to think to myself, like, do I get out of bed? Because it's real easy to just say and forget it, you know, when you're in that stage. You know, you, you wake up sometimes in the middle of the night for a minute, you know, 30 seconds. I'm sure a lot of people do that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. me most. But that's a lot of times an ideal come in and I have to say, oh, my, my, get out of bed and record this, you know. And then I, in like an, in a second, my brain will say to, my, I say to myself, I, I know I have a song here. Like if I get if I put the time in now, get out of bed, grab a guitar, get this, my phone. And record it on there, I know I'm going to have something, you know. And most of the time when they come in like that, it usually turns into something, you know. So I try to make the effort. I mean, it happened on the road just like a month or so ago. I had something and I knew it was good for us. You know, I knew it was something we could use. You never know if it's going to be good till the end. But I knew it was something that would 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 probably be worthy of demoing, you know, at least. So 
So I got the handheld and I popped it on there. I listened back to it a couple of days. I'm like, oh yeah, this one will work. You, you know, like you could sort of tell. And then other ones, you, you know, sometimes when you're, for, for me, I can't force anything out. And if I try to force it out, it's just absolute junk. So I have to wait. And Don's the same way. Like we have to wait for that switch to come on, you know? And if it doesn't come on, like maybe for 12 years between our last album and this one, then you got to wait. <laughs> yeah yeah because i mean again i've heard i've heard with songwriting from some people there's just that perspective of it's a business in that regard you set aside like eight hours a day you go in you write songs and whatever comes to that comes to that I but can't do that. yeah i can't i i i can't and i know don and he can't either we can't do that we don't mm-hmm. if we try to you know back in the days when we lived close together we used to get together to write all the time you know and it would be this. I, if I go over there, he has no ideas. I have no ideas. Okay, go get sushi. We go out to dinner. You know, and we don't force it. You can't. Or you start doing nothing. Or, you know, we go, we, that's what we would generally, we would do. We'd go get a dinner. Or, yeah, we go to dinner. <laughs> that's usually what we would do. Yeah. How has the writing changed from, you know, your first album with Dokken compared to Heaven Comes Down? Uh, the very first one, you know, I was new to the band and, uh, Don and I wrote in Don's place. He had a studio and I, and I was too new to speak up on, on things, you know, like I, I just sort of went with the flow more on that one. Um, but for the most part, that was Don and I in his studio and I would drive to his place. Um, would be, it would take me like 45 minutes or more and we just wrote, you know, but, but, you know, and, and Don, I remember said to me on that one, I, I just want to write whatever we like, whatever comes and whatever, you know what I mean? So it wasn't as like direct forced into a direction. On, on the next one, I'd been in the band longer and I said to Don, I'm like, you know what? We need to do something that's in what the doc and catalog does, you know? And, and I, I remember I would say to him something like, you know, man, if like, if you have a restaurant, for example, and you sell uh, pizza your pizza parlor, don't add in tacos, you know, like you got to stick to what you do. And, and you could, you could paint within the scope of that, but I'm like, let's do something that, you know, is going to sound, you know, be more up the, up the middle for us, you know? And he's like, well, I don't know how to do that. I wrote those songs 30 years ago. I'm like, you know what? I'll burn a CD for you of what I, of the, of some of the old songs, put it in your car and start, you know, see if you, if you can feel anything from that. And I'll, so I, I wrote riffs and he sat in the car and drove around and and that's how it developed. He you know, came to my house. I had like the uh, Oasis riff or something. And, you know, how I would always work with him, if I had some ideas, I'd play him something. And, and if he liked it, I'd know because he'd start singing something or, you know, say, oh, oh well, he'd have an idea. And once that would happen, then, OK, we demo that one. Or he'd have some, he'd play guitar and he'd have some chords he'd play with me. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Maybe this is the reverse, you know? And then I got a part for that. You know, we'd build. So then that, that's how it would go from there. But on this last one, it was completely different because we didn't live near each other anymore. And COVID hit. So the way I just described to you, that's how the, that's how Broken Bones was written and Lightning Strikes Again was written. It was like that um then then during covid you know don moved to santa fe so we weren't you know couldn't really work but then there was the covid so we had to work separately so i worked in my studio he worked in his studio we correspond like that and then after they had the vaccine he came out here and at that point i I amassed quite a number of tracks i did on my own and a lot of them like in my brain i think oh if this doesn't sound like docking i don't even want to play it from but a couple of them i didn't think sounded like docking and 
I played it for him. I, I remember I played him over the track to over the mountain and uh, saving grace. I thought they were throwaways. I'm like, hey, man, let me just throw these two at you. I know they're not for us, but let me just get it out of the way. So uh, I, you want to hear him? He's like, yeah, play him. So I play him over the mountain. He's like, I like it. Reminds me of, um, he said, it reminds me of uh, uh, Gary Moore. And then he started singing on that one. And Saving Grace, you know, same thing. So the two, I thought those were going to be throwaways and they ran. But a lot of times Don, Don's really good at like, boom, he hears something. We had a mic set up here for him, you know. And uh, I, I, I'm now proficient on recording in Pro Tools, which which helped a lot too. Because that yeah. was my, my big hump was learning how to do drums. Once I figured out how to do drums and Pro Tools, I had I amassed a, a ton of music on here that I was then able to demo and go through. And I, I had it all marked. Like if I thought it could be a good docking thing, it would say like docking idea one, docking idea two. So I started demoing off those, and, but I had amassed so much music because I couldn't record. I didn't have to do the drums, you know, for all those years. I always had someone helping me. But during COVID, I had to learn because nobody could come over. So, you know, I had... um the fugitive track I had that one and I had gypsy done and he came here and um, boom, he heard fugitive and right off the top, man, with, with record going, he just goes, uh, he just starts singing that first. I'm a fugitive from life. He started doing that. I'm like, oh, I got like a goosebump as soon as I heard it. And I did again right now thinking about it because as soon as he, he did that one, I'm like thinking that's awesome. And yeah. So, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, that's the thing, right? Cause I mean, I mean, Dawkins voice is so, unique in that regard like yeah he's, he's no one else sounds like don yeah you know don's much more of um I, I don't know if people realize like he's a wonderful musician he's a you know he was never just a singer he you know granted i mean he had, you're right he has a fingerprint voice but he was never just a singer i mean don's a true musician i mean not there's not a lot of guys that you could play a track to and they off the boom right away music lyrics when he's on Man, he right, you know, it they happen fast when he's on. <laughs> I'm serious, you know. Yeah. So then with the rest of the album, because like, I mean, for me, like I think about just like a rose lost in you. I mean, I get those songs in my head all the time, uh, from yeah. from this album. And so, like, when you're coming up with with those, like how fast say were those to come up with? Just like a rose was a song Don had on his own. Mm. We, he he was going to put it on, he, he had a demo of that, right? Done demo. He was going to put it on the last thing they did. You know, they did some re-release, whatever it was called. Oh, yes, the the yeah. lost. Uh, I, right, the lost I, I played like four solos on that record, you know? So when I was in cutting those leads, Don played me that one. And I was like, you know what? Save this one. Save this one. And then he saved it. And then um, I, I rewrote the guitar parts. Um, and that's how that one came together um lost in you that track i had that was another one i wasn't sure if it was going to be for docking i had uh i had initially i had the intro riff and i had the chorus and then i eventually wrote the the verse part on a 12 string and i wasn't sure if i was that was another one i was on the fence if i should even play that one for them. i was like hmm sounded more iron maideny to me with those intro harmonies i had you know or, Ga or shankery but he liked it so he finished that one yeah, it's it's interesting. Like when you write other songs, like that you consider not for Dokken, okay. what what do you do with them? I finish them sometimes. I have a, I have quite a bit done. I I just don't do anything with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Like I don't like to limit it to to just one thing. So if I, whatever it is, as long as I feel like there's something that's inspiring me, um, and it it's not just this genre. Like I have things. 
some things sound complete like you would never believe it with something you know it's they sound that different but I, I i a lot of times i'm still like you know i demo them and i have them they just sit in, in the archive. you know my wife hears them she makes she's always commenting on, on whatever it is you know <laughs> one I, I know i have a few things that sound like there could be soundtracks for like uh like you know medieval type shows <laughs> you know Honestly, I would be, I'd love to hear that stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah, someday you can do it. Out too. Sometimes I go through because I pop them in folders when I'm done, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes every once in a while I'll go back and I'll be like, oh, I forgot about that one. And I, oh, that one's interesting, you know. But that's how I sort of do it. And that's how I sort of focus it too. Because I don't, I, if, I, if there's something that's way, way out at this point, like if I if I know we're working, I don't, I won't even play Don something to waste his time. Like, and there's just no way with this one, you know what I mean? And I just move on to the next, you know. Mm. That's the best way to filter things through, you know, just write a lot. Right, right. Is there moments where you're showing him something where where you kind of read his face and it's just like, hmm, maybe not? Um, you know, we, we've been working together so many years at this point that I I I, we, I know what he likes. Usually, like I'll, I'll know what he sort of what, what makes things, you know, think about it. Like if you're a singer. You don't want very busy verses. You know, you, I, li- I like to give it to him so that there's an open canvas on whatever it is I'm presenting. Because, you know, he, like Santa Fe, he wrote that on his own. I had nothing to do with it. But on, on anything that I'll present to him, I always try to give him open space on the verse, you know, to make, make it easy for him to create his thing. We can always add to it later, but it's much harder um, to... For, for like anyone, like I'm sure any singer to write over some busy part. I mean, give them space. Now that's what I try to do that. Um, and, you know, just from arrangements perspective, we were, you know, I just sort of know we both are on the same page at this point. It's been so many years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how then? Cause I mean, let's, let's see, like you started with Warlock and, and Doro and stuff like that. And then, and then you took a lot of time off just being in you know an entertainment lawyer which which yeah. i definitely want to talk about and then and then i mean what was it you didn't even wouldn't have even gone to the gone to the audition if it if you'd known it was docking originally yeah that's true i absolutely would not have gone no so way. then how how have you matured as a guitarist since those moments uh my my musical quest is just and i think maybe like i would imagine like most artists you know it's just ne- it's never going to end you know you, whatever and, and especially with how i am as a person like whatever it whatever mountain i may have climbed as soon as it's done i dismiss it like it, it's never happened and move on to the next one and you know i just feel like I'm, for me i feel like i'm only as good as what i did today you know, I, I whatever I did in the past, that's in the past. You know, what did you give me? What what am I doing now? You know, and that that tries to get me moving forward. You know, um, as a as a, a writer, and then as a player, um, there's for me there's nothing like the benefit of time. Looking back at from a I'm now I'm talking about just like say the solo sections. You know, looking back in time on how how I played in 1988 at, on that Warlock record or whatever 89. And then how I played in the next phase and, huh, wow, I, I was doing a lot of this then and I wasn't doing enough of that or I, I was, you know, I was maybe I didn't have like the uh, the patience to just like take a breath back and like 
throw down a melody, you know, that people can, you know what I'm saying? So it's just a progression, you know, things just progress and progress and progress. And as you do it, you get more, um, you get a, a better sense of fulfillment and maybe more confidence in what you're doing, you know, and that's it. it just progresses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, when, when you, you talk about soloing and I mean, what is kind of your process for adding a solo to, to the Dawkins songs? Um, the, the, how I do it now is, uh, I, I really got it. I, I know what works for me after all these years, like how I like to do it, you know? And, and for me, um, I have to do complete passes. So, and don't listen to it. <laughs> so for example, like, say like fugitive, although, well, that actually was the demo solo that was on there. That became the real solo. That one and gypsy, those were demo solos. Um, but okay. So say there's a blank canvas lost in you and I'm going to do the lead. Um, first I'll wait till Don pressures me because I have to have some pressure. Otherwise I can't, I, I get, I can't get do focused to doing it. So I get for the pressure. Once I have the pressure, I'll go in there and I'll, um, if I'm feeling like, you know, some inspiration, I'll just play. So I, I put the protocols on. So I just go solo after solo after solo after solo. I just keep same, same section. I'll start 30 seconds before the solo and let it run till 10 seconds after. Right. And I just keep recording track after track um all, all on one track but there's you know sub takes or whatever they call it um playlist and and then once i'm i'm out of ideas i know it and it usually it'll be somewhere between or inspiration it'll be between um five notes and i feel like forget it it ain't happening or i get 10 takes i don't listen to them two days later three days later i go back and okay let's do some more on that lost in you one i'll pull that track up do that process again and uh, I'll do that over four or five days, different days, not consecutive, right? And then at some point, I have to go through the twenty-five or thirty leads, and see what I what what's going to work. And that's that's a little bit more tedious. Um, but it, it seems like whatever I my, whatever I did on like day the first day, say right, they'll all be like a similar approach. Do you see what I mean? Like okay, I latched onto some melody in the beginning, and then it went to the, you know what I mean. And then I'll go to the day two and they'll be completely different, you know, hundred percent different. And then, so I'll, I'll have amassed five different directions. And then eventually if I figure, I figure out which is the best direction for the song. Um, and then I'll, I'll see if I have a complete pass that's close within that direction. You know what I mean? And then sometimes I'll comp in other words, like say I like um, first solo, first half of the first solo on that one. And the second half of, the last of take six. So I'll comp those two, but they're all played live. Like there's not like, a, I don't punch in and piece it. The only time I ever punch in, it's like, cause everything's good. And like the last notes, Oh man, I, that last note, just like a little off. I'll punch the last note. Mm. if I. Need. But other than that, I try to limit. Um, I don't punch the solos together. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't do one phrase, stop, think of another phrase. I don't play. I can't do that. I well, can't put I it either. Yeah, and and I would think that would lose the organic nature of the of the music. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it does. And, and for me, like I I can't I have a trouble like learning what I did on the fly. Like mm, you know, yeah, I get a, I I can get a facsimile of what I did, but whatever I did on that moment, like I I can't. I'm chase if I try to recreate it, I'm chasing it. I I don't re you know what I'm saying. Like I really it just I don't know. I know generally where I, what I did, but I don't I I can't get it. If I try to get it exactly, it'll sound like a facsimile of, of what I was trying to do. 
You know, that's just how it is for me. I mean, everyone's different. I mean, sure, there's other players out there that have a completely different process. I only stumbled onto this because over the course of time, you know, back in the day when we were in studios, we were paying a lot per hour. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I, I had to get it done. Like one, two, three takes, man, that's it. Got to move on. You know, you don't have all day to mess around with one lead. Um, once I got proficient on my own Pro Tool studio, which happened in uh, Broken Bones, that's when I was, that's when I came to this method. And it wasn't like intentional. It's just like part of it was out of laziness because I play six solos, seven solos. I don't want to listen to them now and comp it. Just leave it. <laughs> You know, do another day. Then I get to another day. It's like, I don't want to comp those. I'd rather just play, play another five. So, you know, so I just amassed more and more and more of them. So, so that's how it worked for me. And that's what works for me. Is there like, do you, do you play multiple versions for Don or do you just kind of like, this is the solo? Um, no, I usually get it to one. I, I usually get it to one between two and four choices. I'll get two two to four solos done in there, right? At the end. And then I'll call my friend Robbie Hoffman. <laughs> um, he's like m- one of my oldest friends. And I'll I'll um I'll FaceTime him because it's easier to hear it. And I'll play the four for him. I'm like, hey man, which of these are good? Which is the best one of these? And so I'll let him pick. Or sometimes I'll say, I like the front half of this one and the back half of that one. And then I, you know. And I'll just comp it and go from there. When we did, uh, see, on this last one, I engineered all by myself. It's hard to play an engineer at the same time, you know? It's, um, sometimes it can be a, vi- a, a vibe killer, but not so much for the leads, how I do it. But it can be, you know, it's definitely a buzzkill if you start having to stop playing the leads and do pro tools. I, I, that's what I just want to play. But when we did Broken Bones, you know, we had Darian Rundle engineering, Um and and I trusted him so much and still do. I just let him do the comps. I'm like, all right, I played eight solos. You go through them and make a lead. Pick what you like the best and do what you want to him. You want to comp it? Go ahead. There's one good one. Go ahead. And whatever he he would play, he'd do it. Play for me. Hey, here's what here's what it is. I wouldn't even ask him what he pulled. I've got. That's good. You know, it's an outside opinion. You know, he, he likes it. He thinks that's it. Let's go with it. Mm-hmm. So that's it. So then when you are engineering the album, like, is that something that, that you just kind of feel like you've graduated into and want to continue doing from this point? Uh, well, you know, I was only, I engineered just my own parts. I mean. Right, right. Yeah. I engineered my, I did my, I recorded my guitar parts. You know, look, it would start with a demo, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was a drum machine I'd program and I put a scratch face on one of the stuff I play for Don. But um, the guitar parts, the demo the demo rhythms became the real rhythms because Don said to me, we called me one day and said, Hey, I like the demo rhythms. I don't want to change them. I'm like, you know what? I, that's a, thank you. That's a great idea because I know me. And as soon as I start going back and learning it, I'll, I'll try to polish it too much and it'll sound sterile. And it's a, you're chasing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not good at that. Like I, I just, as soon as I, it's really strange. Cause like when you first come up with the riff and I put it on the recorder, you know, even getting it from there, the couple minutes or a half hour it takes for me to set up the Pro Tools session, get it off here, and play it into the system, you know? That's like one, in my mind, that's like one facsimile, right? Because now I took a copy of what I had here, and I degraded it somehow to the next <laughs> level, right? So it degraded slightly. So now it's on the Pro Tools. It's a little worse, but it's, it's good, right? 
Um, now you want to take all that, learn it, and re-record it again. Now, now I degraded it again. You know, just this is just for me. Like maybe <laughs> yes. better, but for me, as I learn it better and better, I sterilize it more and more. So, right. So then, I guess like with with a solo um, out on the road and taking that song and playing it live, does that mean that you're kind of sterilizing it on the road? That's a really good question. Um, the first step is I have to learn what I did. So like for, we did the uh, Fugitive video. I heard the song, you know, a hundred, a few hundred times during that video shoot. And finally, I'm like, okay, I think I, I know how the lead goes. I don't know that I could play it perfectly, but I know how it goes. Um, after, if I was to do this song, if I play, if we play Fugitive a hundred times live, I'll get to a point that I have it as I, I can play it perfectly over and over again. And I'll get to a point that I can do it on autopilot and actually let just emotion take it. But to get for me to get to that point, that takes a long time. Like I can't just relearn something quickly and like do it with an emotional performance fast. Because if, if there's any thought activity for me and how I'm supposed to play this, it's it's over for me. I have to be able to play it either spontaneous because I just made it up or autopilot because I've done it so many times that it's second nature and i can just go for it you know so for me it's that that's the gamut right so so it's not that easy for you to be able to just throw a new song in to the set you have to kind of you know know what that is and really work through that right well that rhythm, process. yeah at least from the solo perspective i i would you know I, you know if we played the song a, a ton of times I'll I'll get to the point that I'm going to be doing it much better than I did it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. you know? So what I would probably in the beginning, I would probably take a little more liberties of improvisation because I, I, I would have to a little bit, you know, um, and it, it's sort of hard to relearn stuff you do on the fly. I mean, these were moments in time three years ago. You know, I played a I played a couple I played a lead on something three years ago that took me however many minutes it took me to do it, right? It was a moment in time. I, I, you know, I to go back and try and recapture that and recreate it. For me, it's a little bit not as easy as it might be for someone else who's, who's good at that, you know? When it, now, when it comes down to, of course, you know, playing the sets and playing uh, George Lynch's solos and stuff like that, how, how many liberties do you feel okay to take with, with something that was already there? When I was in, in uh, we opened up for Ozzy Osbourne when I was in Warlock in like 80, 89. And I was watching Zach play and I and I was like, you know what? I like that he does all the Randy Rhodes leads the way I remembered them. You know, and that carried with me when I got into Doc. And I'm like, you know what? I don't I don't want to um, do any disservice to the creations George did on this on these records. You know, and if I was a spectator, I'd want to hear it like that. I don't want. Some, especially when I'm new, I don't want the, this new guy comes in. He's what is that lead he did? It's nothing to do with the original, you know. The, the songs take on a life of their own, and so did the leads, and that that's why I approached it that way. So today, I'll take a little bit of liberties here and there, but I, I don't ever change the structure of the overall melody and and direction of what he did, just because I don't think it would personally. I, I'm. I don't think it would be something that I would like as a fan, you know. 
have you ever discussed like soloing and just just the playing with George and and uh, kind of you know broken bread in uh, that case? No, we we ne never really talked about that. Um, having seen him play so many times, like I know I don't play them correctly. You know, I I, I just remember when we were kids growing up, we didn't have the benefit of like YouTube where you can go on YouTube and watch like 50 different people doing it and say, okay, that guy's doing it perfectly. I mean, mm -hmm. that, you know what I mean, I, I, we had to learn by like putting on out vinyl. And if you wanted to slow it down, like you, you put, you, you know, you would go like that and slow it down. You know, that's how we did it. Or we put it on a slower speed on the, uh, the record player. Right. So I would try and learn these George Lynch solos or these Eddie Van Halen solos. And, you know, I, I, I learned them a way that I thought would work for me, but they, they weren't the right way. You know, they were how I thought it would be, you know. So that's how that's how it how I how I how I did it. You know, I'm sure if I looked on YouTube, I'd find people playing them perfectly and like, OK, I don't know what the hell they're doing. I got to learn that. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at the same time, I, I get it. Right. Because because this is your system. I mean, because you learned completely just from doing that. Right. I mean, yourself yeah, taught. Yeah. yeah, that's how I learned like everything when we were I mean, when we were kids, we had no other way to do it. You know, unless you found someone who, who you take lessons from who knew how to do it better, you know. So that that was those were your options, really. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what it was back then, you know. But you know, I've had some fun. Like uh, I said to George, um, you know, I always felt a little uncomfortable. Man, I'm playing songs he wrote in front of him, like. <laughs> I feel I felt awkward with that, you know, because I imagine if it was you, you wrote all this material, like and some other dude there is playing your stuff, and um and I but I said to him, hey man, just think about how it is for me. I got to play your stuff in front of you, <laughs> all right? <laughs> imagine how bad that how right? But um yeah, so we had we had to laugh about that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's such a character. We've spoken to him a couple of times, and and it's and it's always so interesting because you just you never know what he's going to say. In that he's uh, wonderful talent, man. You know, yes. watching play. You know, I, um, it seems like he also he just goes for it, and the and you know, the improv just so it's incredible to you know watch it. Mm -hmm. That's what well, I love. You know, I love I love players that just have moments. You know what I mean? Like they just go for it, and like. I, I like that a lot more than you know. There's other players that plan out everything they do. You know what I'm saying? And 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 just for me, I generally went for the you know George Lynch, Eddie Van Halen, the, the people that off the cuff. You know that's what always really got me. Um, don't get me wrong. There's other players that make up leads that are incredible, that plan out things and compose. And and look, Randy Rhodes is one of my favorite players too, and he he composed. Like you could tell those were not off the fly. That's, that's right. He made those up and he played what he composed and he doubled those solos, you know, and he was a huge, I, you know, I was a huge fan. I mean, I had Diary of a Man Man and um, yeah. Love, oh love yeah. Him. Oh no. I mean, Randy Rose is spectacular. Like I, I have, I have a mini guitar, mini guitar of the, uh, of the flying V with the polka dots oh, and stuff. Cool. Cause I never got the same live. I mean, I hear live he did he did throw in some improv in there, but you know, unfortunately, I had tickets to go see him too, and fortunately, he passed away right be right before then. You know, wow. I, I'm March 18th, and he I know he passed away like within the day of my birthday. It must have been the 17th or the eight, or on my birthday, right around there. Oh um, yeah, like 80. What was it, 82 or three around there? Something like that. God. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's just I mean like what a talent he was absolutely. Yeah. 
So then, you know, one of the things that I note was as I watch you play is that the playing just seems so effortless on video. You know, do you do you kind of feel like it is effortless in that regard? I, I never like to put in a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, I think that's just a product of playing things so many times over that you could get to like um, autopilot with something. And and that's when it for me that's when like I was saying remember I said earlier if I played mm -hmm. the same solo a hundred times I can get to an autopilot place with it but you know finally you, you get to a place where you can just sort of enjoy because you you know you're on like you have muscle memory and you know and then if you feel inspiration that then that you could just take it as opposed to having to concentrate I mean I'm sure when I first was started playing with the band I, I mean it's hard to get into what my headspace was that many years ago but I'm sure I was up there maybe concentrating more. I would think I'd have to go back and look. I'd be able to, I know I, I would, if I saw something from back then, I'd be like, ah, I'm thinking too much. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> it's uh, for me, music is better when you don't think, you know, <laughs> start this sort of train of thought. I mean, and, you know, becomes more like a math experiment or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I mean, the best music is supposed to be emotional. You're supposed to feel it. And, and I mean, those guitar guitarists, I mean, I, I think of, Eddie Van Halen, when I saw him, I think of Carlos Santana and stuff like that. Yeah. Guys who it's just so obvious that they're feeling the music and that and that it's just emoting from the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what music is. It's really the conveyance of, you know, and, and there is no right or wrong with it. You know, um, the, I like to use the example of like some people, have, you know, get a box of crayons and there's like, you know, 50 colors in there. Right. And they can draw with the 50 colors. And then there's some other artist who just has a pencil, right? But can you imagine what like a Picasso did with a pencil compared to like some very good artist that did with the 10, with the 50 crayons, you know? So it's not about how many colors you have, you know, it's just about what kind of expression of emotion can you convey with whatever amount of ability you have. You know, you don't have to have the greatest amount of musical build. There's some musicians out there, man, they don't have a lot of of dexterity and playability, but man, what they could do with a couple of pentatonic notes, right? So, you know, it's all about what you can convey with what you have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, for me. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree completely. Like, um, so, so you talked about Santa Fe and I read that, uh, that, that you didn't do any of the guitar and you said that that you didn't have anything to do with it but but the yeah, don I gave you the don played for me I'm like don it's great i don't want to replay this man yeah i don't like it... acoustic anyway it hurts my hand too much <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding <laughs> yeah because because i was wondering like um if there like is there an ego aspect to that or is it just like no nah, it's perfect I mean, um, no, I, if there was, I guess I would have been saying, "Oh, I got to I want to redo it." Yeah, yeah. I, I, I immediately said to Don, "It's great. Don't touch it." It's like you don't mind the Bill played him. Like, not at all. He did great. Leave it. Seriously. Yeah, crazy. I mean, because because yeah. I think that there are some people who would definitely want to put their their touch on it. So, so yeah, uh, I just no. I felt that this. I, no, I thought the song was great the way it was. Didn't need anything. And me just replaying the acoustic parts that he already did. Why? Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, that's how I felt about it. It wasn't laziness. I just felt like it didn't need it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know? And it's an excellent song anyway. And, so, so, yes. 
it's it's great for me because like uh, you might find this odd, but it allowed me to be like a spectator on one of the songs. Do you know what I mean? It put me into a third party position, like wow, I can look in and enjoy, you know, and comp- I can enjoy a, a composition as as from a different perspective. Now I can enjoy all the other ones because so much time has passed. And um, when that much time passes, sometimes the songs can take on a life of their own, and you can, you know, when you when you're working on something, it's developing. You don't really know where it's going, and when you hear it you know, a few hundred times and you're beaten to death with it by the time you're done mixing it. At that point, you don't even want to hear it again. You're like, oh, I'm done with this, man. Like Don said to me something once and he's so right. He's like, records don't get finished. They get abandoned. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but by the time we abandoned this one, I, I mean, God, I mean, we had, we mastered this record four times, four, four different wow. times. And each time it's like, we had to listen to five. I mean, you know, you get to the point that's like, I got to get this done, <laughs> right? <laughs> Help me more. <laughs> what are we doing, right? We got to pick at this point. We got to finish it or abandon it. And and then, you, you know, not having heard it then for a year, I mean, I, or eight, nine months till I, you know, once we were getting closer to the release, I'm like, hey, let me hear this thing and put it in the car, you know? And then I started thinking, wow, you hear it totally different, you know, totally different. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of a uh, little bit of space always helps everything in that regard. Like being able to listen to it with fresh ears after, after especially when you've been so inundated with it. Yeah, I, I absolutely. You know, and that's when you could sort of if a song can stand the test of time. I mean, that's a good sign. You know, if if you look back at it and it's like, oh, I don't know what we were thinking with that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then they just sort of fall by the wayside, I think. But when they start taking on a life of their own, you know, then that's probably a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cause, cause I, I just remember, you know, re-listening to all of your, all of your doc and work uh, just before this interview. And, and I mean, it can be like six months, eight months, two years between listening to, to a certain album. But like the first one, I found that I'm listening to it and I'm like, and, and I just, re- I'm still remembering it from, from the previous times. And it's just like, Oh, Oh yeah, oh I know, I totally know the song. And so for me, that like that struck me as a really good thing. Oh, that's good. Boy, I, I haven't listened to like Hell to Pay in I, I don't I you know, so so many, many, many years, you know. I don't even I barely remember it. I mean, I remember working on it and recording. Um, but it was a very long time ago. I mean, we started we started writing for that one in early 2003. Um, what did it come out in four? Probably. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next one, Lightning Strikes Again, I, uh, I remember I did the guitar tracks in my condo <laughs> with a live amp. <laughs> the live amp. I, had a, I lived in a condo at the time and we blanketed the Marshall and I went to my neighbors. I'm like, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I apologize in advance. But do you guys mind if I like do some guitar parts? It might be a little loud. And they were all about it, like, no, no problem. Come come and watch. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So they came in and hung out, and, you know, I I got it all done, you know. Don bought me this thing, like this power attenuator thing, you know. And you can crank the amp all the way up, like the 10. And then this, they put this plate box, this box, like the hot plate it was called. Um, And the head plugged into the hot plate, I guess, and the hot plate to the cabinet. And it had like a one knob on there. So you can just crank the amp fully full blast you know but then dial this thing down you wouldn't get the speakers full blast because you can you know i wasn't getting a ton of speaker push but i had it still loud enough that it was you know shaking the walls a little bit 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That that that's what music's supposed to be, right? Yeah, Shaking the walls that's... a little bit. <laughs> so so tell me about the the live experience then and like how much fun a it is to play these songs live but but then just you know what it's like with don uh, out being out live oh yeah god don's got he's such a character man there's just so uh, the, i call it the book of don there's <laughs> so so many stories and things that have happened along the way you know and we have bj zampa and chris mccarville and the two of them are just an absolute, you know, freaking steamroller. I don't know if you've seen us with them, but, you know, the band is just so, they're, those, they're just so good, you know. The dock, the docking gig on drums is a very, very, very hard gig. And, you know, we, you know, I only played with a couple of drummers in my whole life, for the most part. You know, Bobby Rondinelli and Warlock. And then I played with Mick for mm-hmm. all those years, you know, pretty much, you know. And that gig, the, the drum gig, when, when Mick, when we didn't have Mick, um, and there was times that we had to like, uh, whatever, or do some auditions, like in 2008 when we did the Poison Tour, you know, or just along the way, we had to get some other people. Um, it's a very hard gig because the way Mick, Mick doesn't play, didn't play every section exactly like a metronome. He would lay back in certain sections and he'd push in other sections. It was a whole thing that not a lot of guys can do, you know. Um, but, you know, one day we were playing in Europe and House Salores was opening for us. And it was with the same BJ Zampa, Christopher yep. Carvel. I remember I was sick that day. I caught some virus in Europe and it was freezing out in England. I was lying on the couch, you know, not feeling well. And I remember hearing them and Mick was in the room like, Dude, get, listen to this thing, man. These guys sound freaking great. And then Mick goes like this to me: "That guy, if I ever quit, that get that—that's the guy you get." I'm like, really? <laughs> like if I ever quit, you get that guy. I'm like, really? He's like, yep. He's got the right backbeat. That's what he said, Mick. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose that 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 I mean, when you hear it, especially I mean, when you've been doing it as long as Mick, right? Then then you hear it and you just know. You like yeah. instinctually, I guess. You know, I mean, I wouldn't know that because I'm not a drummer. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't. I only discovered the the intricacies of how brilliant Mick's parts were and how Mick plays with feel. Mick, Mick was a, a huge part of Dokken. You know, huge. Like, don't underestimate how important he was. You know, um, he just had that certain. And for me as a player, like. I just had a chemistry with him that when we would play together, it would sound like more than two people, you know, and, and I have that with BJ, but there's other guys I played with in the past and they could be fantastic players. Absolutely great. And they play like a metronome and, and I just don't, I can't find it. You know, I just can't. Yeah. Cause, cause we often talk about the the pocket, you know, with between a bass player and a drummer, but yes, I, I guess the, that especially when you play by feel so much that that even adding a guitarist to that mix mix changes it up again. Oh yeah, I mean, and anything you change changes everything. Like you know, especially when you're only a three piece. There's an old saying: you're a three piece, you're only as good as your worst guy. And that, that's really true. You're only as good as the weakest link in it. You know. Hmm. Yeah. So then how have, uh, so, I mean, you were at the Golden Nugget in Vegas and then, and then you just did the whiskey. Oh gosh. What was that? Two nights ago? Uh, Saturday night. Was it? Yeah. And that, I think that's the last time we're ever going to be playing there. 
Oh, really? I that, I think. Well, we'll see, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. How? Why do you think that? Um, I don't know. I mean, everything in Los Angeles is changing so much. I mean, um, you know, the owner of the of the owner of the Rainbow, who we all, you know, I don't know if you heard, but yes, I did. Yeah, away, so that was really horrible. So you know, the House of Blues is gone. Let hopefully the whiskey will stay. We'll see. I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. I hope so. You know, yeah, yeah. That's uh, it, the it's... Rainbow, the whiskey. I maybe you know that would really be the end of an era. I mean, God. But you know, you never know. Hopefully, we'll be back there. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Because because um, we're actually my wife and I are heading down uh, to to L.A. to we're going to see Quiet Riot there in a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, I was really hoping to manage to squeeze Dockin in. But, uh, but uh, we yeah, quite was, we had it. a good time Saturday night. It was a fun show. So that was the last. That was the closeout of twenty twenty three for us. We have nothing wow. else. Oh yeah. But next I, year we're going to line up a lot. Oh, that's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I would really like to go see you guys, especially with you playing. Uh, now, I mean, I just talked to one of your opening acts, the Centrix, uh, uh, from that show. Do you watch opening acts usually? Uh, sometimes, you know, admittedly, like with our schedule, with the touring, like usually we do sound check. Um, then we all go to eat and then everyone goes to sleep. And I set my alarm usually for one hour before I need to be in the lobby. <laughs> Get up, take a shower. So typically, you know, it's not that we don't want to hear the opening acts. It's just mm-hmm. that everybody's tired, you know. So we usually all, all rest. So and, 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 you know, sometimes we get in and, and there's some opening acts that are doing really hardcore stuff. And, you know, if you, to be stuck in a dressing room for hours being pummeled, if it's allowed in the dressing room, it could really wipe you out too, you know. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I think... You know, it would be difficult when when it's something that is so different from what you yourself are playing. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Sometimes uh, we get stuck with like you know the dress room. Sometimes is right behind the stage, and there's a thrash band on, and we're all just like getting killed. Um, it's like, uh but you can't go anywhere because there's snow outside and it's freezing. So <laughs> stuck here for another thirty minutes with this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any uh, like kind of pre-show rituals? Uh, you know, not really. I I don't really um, play that much anymore before I go on. I sort of don't really need to. I don't go on cold, but I'll take the guitar out. I'll tune it, um, play a little bit. You know, put it down. I mean, play for play a little bit, put it down. Play a little bit, put it down. Dude, you know, if we're on the road and we're doing consecutive shows, I get to the point that I I really don't need to do anything. You know, if I could tell in two seconds, that feels good. Mm-hmm. a little stiff all right sometimes i start out if it's very stiff for me i have a war but play for play for 10 seconds take put play for 20 seconds like it just a couple spurts like that can get it going you know for me but i don't like to overdo it i mean um if i i, I there used to be times where i bring a practice amp and i'd be you know playing and i get a dress room and i'd start warming up a lot and um you know for me Sometimes it can also, I can do too much in the dress room and then mm, overdid it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Give me the thrill of not knowing what's going to happen when I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I mean, you talk about, uh, you talk about the idea of that yeah. this, <laughs> that the doc, that docking is done for the year. So then how much would you pick up the guitar for the rest of the year? Say, Oh, uh, I have them hanging all over the walls of my house, uh, in the studio, in the living room. 
Um, and I find with them just all over the place, it, it's more conducive for me to just, you know, grab it off the, the wall if I'm watching whatever it is I'm watching and noodle around a little bit. I have this teensy little practice amp sometimes I put in the living room um, if I want to. Um, I got a puppy, though, and she chews on the cable, so that's a little <laughs> harder for me. But sometimes I'll, if I want to play for a few minutes, I'll go into the studio and, you know, I have everything set up in there. I just turn on two switches and there's my, t I have everything ready to go, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't like to overdo, you know, especially with how much, um, how many miles I have at this point on, on my, uh, you know, <laughs> right? yeah. like uh, the last thing I need to do is play too much just to get like some sort of injury. Like I know there's people that practice hours and hours and I don't do that. I don't, I just play. So if I want to pick up the guitar, I'll go in and I'll, and I'll play for, you know, 20 minutes, you know, if I'm really into it a little more, I know when to stop, but you know, when you start recording and writing you're talking about a lot more hand use, you know, now I could be using my hand in there and playing six hours a day. And that's a lot. Mm -hmm. I've just, I, I've learned my lessons that don't overdo it. You know, so I try not, to, there's just no reason to overdo it, you know, like I did when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, which makes I sense. All, day. all I wanted to do was play guitar. Yeah. All That's all I did for so, 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 so many years, you know. We didn't have like um, video games really the same way. There was nothing else to do for me. I just, you know, I had my stickball bat, a ball, a baseball glove, and my guitar. So I just stayed home and I, like after school every day, I mean, you know, homework, finish that, guitar, till I have to go to bed. Didn't want to go eat dinner. Wow. We run downstairs till they made me sit there to eat. How I, as soon as I'm done, right back upstairs, man, let's, let's play gear, amps, let's, you know, figure. I just wanted to play. That's it. You know, weekends, I didn't go anywhere. Like, everyone else was going out and, you know, when I was in high school, and junior high school, I didn't go any place. Didn't want to go anywhere. You know, my, my idea when I was a kid of like having a great weekend is getting my parents to leave and I have <laughs> a living room and my, you know, Univox high flyer and this old amp that I could turn up. You know, I was obsessed with how loud these things go, you know. Wow. How, how much louder is like a Fender than this? How much, <laughs> a Marshall. How loud is a Marshall? You know, it was like that. <laughs> and I got stepping stones and I went from the Fender to the PV to the, you know, to a marshal, to more marshals, <laughs> to not being able to hear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the progression, right? <laughs> well, I know, I know, I'm super close to out of time with you here, or or out I'm of time. good. I got this. I have nothing else. So okay, I'll just ask you a few more then, uh, yeah. if you don't mind. Um, so then, oh. tell me about. I mean, you have a large guitar collection, large-ish. If they're hanging all all over the house yeah, now, when you think about those guitars, like, do you have just a certain few that you kind of know that you would that you trust to play live that you play on the album or do you kind of like to to cycle them around and and see what works best i have uh the studio dogs that are they just stay out in the studio they're always there um and they're my go-to's i um and in that rack there is a, a les paul it's a gothic it's a cheap les paul but probably my best sounding les paul I paid a thousand dollars for it twenty something years ago. Um, it stays in tune. It's light and it's really thick and woody, woody sounding, you know. And I use that's on um, um, what's that on one? Saving Grace is is that one? Yeah, Saving Grace is that one. And uh, Gypsy is that one. The rhythms, 
Um, then there's a Jackson PC one. Um, many years ago, I, I, um, we were recording Broken Bones, and my rep at Fender at the time, Mike McGregor, who's a lovely guy, um, I said, Mike, I need something that I can get some feedback, man. I'm recording in the house, you know, and, and I can't crank it up too loud. He's like, I got something for you. Come, come, go, pick this up. And he lent me this, you know, guitar. It's called the PC One. It's Phil Phil Collin from mm, yeah from Def Leppard, right? Uh, and it has these these switches on there, so you can get like feedback at at like at lower volumes, you know. So um, I ended up getting one of those and I use that one for any, anything that has like sustain. I, I would say that guitar is probably on like six of the solos on the album, you know, at least six. Yeah, probably six leads are on that guitar. Um, then I have a 12 string Dan Electro. Um, that's on almost, that's on at least half the tracks. Anytime you hear anything clean, like whether I like to sort of use it as an underpinning for sections if under a distorted guitar or if you hear anything clean on its own it, it's that dan electro um then i have a 12 string acoustic but that's only on um lost in you that lost in you verse is my 12 string it's from the 60s it's a 1967 fender um it's that and the dan electro is how i got that sound um and i committed it with effect too because i thought they were demos <laughs> uh, all that echo on that Dan Electro that I pop that that's actually and when I was recording the Telstra I was by myself tuning it hitting the button on the Pro Tools giving myself 40 seconds to run to the couch put on the headphones grab the 12 string don't touch the mic sitting exactly how I sat okay <laughs> play uh, get one take do the you know you're running back and forth it's like a you know fiasco <laughs> this, uh Don's bass that he lent me I pop a bass scratch bass on there and uh, and then I'll use my black and white uh charvel um i'll use that one for a lot of the rhythms um and other than that the only oh then my palermo stratocaster this guy mike palermo made well tommy henderson gave me this but it's a palermo and that's on a number of the songs too and that's it those are my studio dogs you know other than that then i have the stuff i use for live there's about five guitars i use for live that i cycle through i like to stick on one so I stick on one until something goes wrong. Usually, like Donzo was like, "Man, you got all those guitars, and you only play one." <laughs> like, hey. You know, if it works, if it's working for me, it sounds great, and I don't have to. I don't like to think. So if I'm at a, a point with a guitar that I could play, and I don't have to think on stage, like I don't want to think about it. If I don't have to, if it's working well enough for me that I don't have to think, I don't like to mess with anything. You know, until something goes wrong, like I throw it in the luggage bin on an airplane, and I'm not watching carefully and someone takes a roller bag and puts it on top of the guitar and then goodbye neck and then I, i'm like okay this one's now toast um <sighs> and i got to go to the next one so my, for live i got like this black and blue one that i had made um it's really i just bought two bodies and two necks they're just they're not it, it's no you know what i mean there's no brand and i took it to um dan lawrence and i'm like dan can you put these together to me just beat them up make one black and blue and one black and white the black and white one's great too, but it came out too heavy. I can't play heavy guitars. Mm. I take that back and I have them cut out a pound or something. Because then I'm going to do that. It's like I'm trying to play it, you know. Um, so there's that one. There's the black and red one that I used in the Fugitive video. I, um, that one yep. sounds good. I had a tough time getting that one to sound good. Don's was like, why don't you play that one? Why don't you play that one? Because I couldn't get it to sound right. It sounded like there was a blanket over it. I had no high. Oh. And one day I'm like, you know what? Let me see. I'm taking taking this pickup out. I took the pickup out, 
And under the, underneath the pickup, there was all this junk. I mean, like uh, rubber and wood chip. I mean, all this junk under there. Like a, I found a sandwich under there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I took all that stuff out because it wasn't breathing, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I tried to put it back together and I, I couldn't get the pickup high enough. I went out to my yard and I found some mulch. I took two pieces of mulch and I took the belt sander and sanded the mulch down and I put it underneath the stilts and I got it to work. You know, I chipped the paint a little bit when I did that. Um, I called Dan. I'm like, Dan, I took out the, I put mulch underneath the pickup and can, I chipped my paint and he fixed it for me, you know? Um, so then there's that one. And um, other than that, what else? Oh, the brown one that my good friend Adam Reaver gave me, the guitar weighs like, uh, under, like five pounds or less. I had a problem with my shoulder, you know, and mm. really that got me through a tough time. So those are the ones I play through live. And I just sort of cycle through those, you know, depending on which one is, is feeling right for me. I had this one with skulls painted on it. I used for like a many, many years. Eventually that one got someone that got ruined on a plane, you know, from the someone threw a roller bag on that. Oh, <laughs> I had it refretted, but I just can't, couldn't get it back to the mojo it had, you know. I just tried and I tried and I tried with that one. I mean, I, I refretted it. I tried. I just can't get it to where it was, you know. Wow. I don't. Yeah, it's still great. Just I, I just can't. For for me, I'm super hypersensitive, you know. Mm-hmm. Like most people would be like, this plays great. You're out, you're out of your mind. Like my friend Robbie, <laughs> told me, you you know you you hear and feel things that don't exist. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but they exist to me. So maybe I'm just crazy. Yeah, but that but that's what it needs to do, right? Like it needs to exist for you in, in right. this case. Whether yeah. or not it's true, it exists in here. Maybe yeah. that's all that matters, right? Right. But... My guitars, other than that, I have things from when I was a kid. Um, you know, when I was in Warlock and around that time, um, I, I, I always had a job. I was always a worker and I was always saving my money. And when I was a kid, I bought vintage guitars. So I bought Les Pauls. I still have two. I bought Les Pauls and Stratocasters. And, you know, so I, I still have quite a number of, of old, like, pieces of, you know, Les Pauls and Fenders or whatever. But, um, you know, that that's pretty much it. You know, I have more than I need. But I, I, if you, I really, at this point, even though I have a lot, I really do use almost everything I have. Or they have some sort of sentimental value. Like, um, I have a, I bought my first Charvel in 1981. And I worked for years to get the money for that thing. I ha- it has the big mouth graphic on it, you know, um, Strat headstock. And yeah. there was this store in Long Island called Grayson's Music that I used to go to with my friend Robbie. We would take the bus out there, you know, we were just little kids. I mean, he was probably 15 and 14 and I was 16. Um, and this guitar was $1,160 in 1981. That was a lot wow. of money. Yeah. Worked parking cars on this beach club, man, saving every penny I could. And I, I went into the store. My mother drove me there. I, was, I wasn't even driving. I was 15 years old, you know. And uh, I was $100 short. And she, my mother gave me the $100, you know. <laughs> that, you know. It was a lot of money back then. Today's a, the 100 today is like what used to be the 20 from 10, 20 years ago, 20 bucks, all right? Um, yeah, so that one has some sentimental value. And then I got a Les Paul when I was 13. That was my first real guitar my parents bought me. Before that, I had a Univox, you know. And boy, was I thrilled to have that Les Paul, man. I was like, so couldn't believe I had a Gibson Les Paul in my house, you know. <laughs> but it was black, you know. In retrospect, you know, the thing weighed like 12 pounds. It was way too heavy for a young guy, you know. 
but probably how I developed like problems with my, you know, muscular skeletal system that's been plaguing me for my whole life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause well, it's interesting cause I saw Nancy Wilson play with sticks just recently and, and she only brought out, you know, an electric guitar like once or twice just because of the weight for her as well. Yeah. It's too, it's, it's, you know, I, I have to stick to super light. I just can't do it anymore. You know? So I do have a bunch of pieces of, you know, guitars, I call them pieces like, that I love, but they, uh, Don's like, how come you don't play them, Don? I think it was a boat anchor and I couldn't carry it for a half a song, but you know, I, I, they, they still have a, you either, they have a use or a sentimental value. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't have that at this point, I really don't have them anymore. You know? Yeah. One thing I am interested in is like, you talk about just the, the different layers, like, you know, playing the rhythm parts and, and then all that stuff, like, and just hearing hearing fugitive and stuff like that and and then watching you with the video watching you what you're playing and then hearing what's actually going on with the guitar how do you transpose all these layers that you've that you've mixed for the guitar into a live setting um my live well you know what i I have the ability in my live rig to basically get any sort of sound i'm looking for and i really have a very simplistic rig you know I, I mean, I, I know these amps I like. Um, and on, on the pedals, like, I'm really only using a couple of the pedals. I have a chorus, a delay, um, and an overdrive, and a channel switcher. Like, that's the whole thing. So just between those two things, like, I can have the clean channel, fully clean. I can have the clean channel with a little overdrive if I want. So there's two sounds there, right? Or I can have my full, my, uh, I can have the dirty channel. Uh, without the, the gain booster so there's like a chunkier rhythm or i can add a little extra layer and then i got a solo sound so between those four like what else is there like i don't i don't really use like any hardcore effects or anything it's just basic you know but um for the recording thing you know that's a different story i ha- i've developed like think you know it's hard to translate your live tone into a recording tone number number one i can't because i i can't be cranking things up in my house here like that. I tried putting amps in the garage, you know, but it's loud. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's how loud I play. You know, I play too loud. Pretty <laughs> loud, you know. Um, so it's it's sort of hard to do that. But uh, I I did a session actually, but, but I played on this Dave's Bread commercial. Believe it or not, and I I didn't tell anyone. But now I'm gonna know. But a while ago and. The, the engineer in there, I, I brought like my studio sound that I've developed, you know, through in a box, you know, over years. And I brought a 50 watt Marshall and, 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 and this engineer rigged these two things together and just got me the most unbelievable guitar rhythm guitars. I mean, it just sounded unbelievable. You know, he had them both on separate tracks. I, took, I actually took a video of tracing down the signal path of how he did this, you know. And uh, I just said to him, hey, man, what, if I ever do another album, can you, can, you know, I'll pay you to come to my studio. Could you get this sound for me? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what you need to get. And um, yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's just a, it's a different, whole different animal studio versus live, you know. And for the live thing, on the most parts, I'm on rental amps, you know. Now, we played the whiskey. I got to use my heads and my mm. paddle. Yeah. And uh, our sound guy, Frank, you know, said to me, man, that sounds so much better. I'm like, well, it's my, you know, my gear. It really br- brings out just how bad this stuff is on tour. Right. You know, these things are 30 years old already, you know, or more, you know, or 25 years old at least. 
So if they're not maintained properly, you can't expect them to do much, you know? So. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, you talk about Tommy Hendrickson too, and and I know that he uses all the digital stuff with, with his work with Alice. Yeah. Is that. He showed me some. Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of anything that you would consider moving to? Um, I've tried a lot, a lot of stuff. I've tried. Um, here's what I've tried. And, you know, it's all about what works for you. And maybe these things could work, but if, if you have to put the time in, you know. Um, I tried the Axe FX, although I couldn't figure out how to use it. So I just was scrolling through the generic stuff and didn't work for me. Um, I just didn't, I didn't feel connected to it. Um, not, it's not to say that if someone came over and showed me, hey, you know, try it like this or like this, I'm like, well, I might be like, oh, I didn't hit that switch. I don't know. <laughs> But I couldn't get it to work. Um, the Kemper I tried, but I didn't sample my own stuff. I just tried the generic sounds. And again, I didn't connect to it. Although I hear if you sample your stuff in a studio, it could be incredible. I, I might try that one day. I might have to try that one day with how old these rental amps are getting. But um, So I tried those. Um, I'm now using um, the Head Rush for the studio. I haven't recorded anything with it, but on the last album, on the Heaven Comes Down album, that is a combination of my 100-watt Marshall with um, my pre with a setting that I developed on this old thing called the 11 rack. It's mostly the 11 rack. And I, I don't know how they mixed it because I wasn't there. Like, I don't know what if they used parts of the sound, mixed them together, or I, I'm not sure. And I didn't do the Marshall on all the tracks, only on a few but i know fugitive that's definitely that's both that's my hunt my hundred watt marshall um mic'd at my house and and the 11 rack and it's two tracks of each and and however kevin shirley mixed it i don't know what he did well i mean kevin shirley does good work so there's no question yeah, about he, that he did a great job i mean really he really i'm really pleased with what you know the, the overall tones he got you know a, because you know, a record it has to go right a lot of any step of the way. You know, things can go wrong, and the whole the whole thing can not be what you're expecting it to be. You know, a lot has to go right. It's not just recording has to go right, and then delivering mass delivering tracks. Because then it has to go to you know mixing has to go right, then mastering has to go right. So there's a lot of steps in the chain, and any one of them can can sort of throw things into the left field if you're not if you're not really being vigilant. You know, mm -hmm. but Kevin really, I think he did a really great job of capturing what, what I was trying to accomplish. Like the, the, when I listen back to the rhythm tones, yeah, they sound like at the first time I can actually say these sound like what I put down. You know, a lot of times the record comes down, it's like, man, those guitar tones sound nothing like what I put down, you know, uh, like that happens, especially when you layer, you know, think about how much control someone has in the studio. You know, if you start knocking like mid range out of the guitar, I mean, you can you can ruin someone's tone. So oh, it's, yeah. it doesn't take a lot. So, you you know, you can make or break it. I mean, it's hard to make a bad guitar sound into good in a studio. That's tough. You know, you can only go worse. <laughs> Whatever you put down, you can get it worse if you want to. But you, can get a, you can get a really good sound better. But if you have junk on there, like if you didn't record with enough like low mids, you're not, it's going to be tough, tough one to fix that, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, like heaven comes down, like I say, I mean, to me, 
it's it's my favorite i love it i think i think i think it sounds truly classic and so so i mean you know my applause for for pulling that off thank you so much hey i'm, I'm glad you like it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i definitely want to like it's it's one of those ones where i where i keep thinking oh yeah like that song will pop into my head and then it's just like gosh yes i gotta go listen to that album again <laughs> that's great oh good i'm glad yeah it seems like um this, the songs seem to have staying power because like I can actually go in my car, even now I've heard them so many times. I still have my go-tos that I like to go listen to on the record, you know, and it's a deep record that I find myself enjoying songs that I hadn't heard. And you know what I mean? Like, it seems to be like that. Like, I don't really listen to Fugitive anymore just because after the video, I, you know, heard it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, that's not to say I won't listen to it again. I will just for now. It's like, I'm, I listen to like Lost in You and, you know, there's a gypsy saving grace seems to be one i like to play a lot you know yeah that's awesome well john uh, it's been a treat talking to you i've i've enjoyed every minute of this and oh, and i i do appreciate your time um please uh, tell everybody where they can keep up with you and uh how they can find the album and just just everything you want to plug oh oh cool well the the album's on amazon um i have a uh, my, uh, you know, you could find me on uh, Instagram. And other than that, I have johnlevinguitars.com. And I think I'm going to, on the johnlevinguitars.com site, I'm going to uh, start like uh, playing some of the new record and showing people how to play because I've been asked to do it a bunch of times. So um, my goal is this holiday season, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'll start putting, because I know I've been social uh, uh, social media dormant for the last like, Two or three years, so <laughs> I should do something. Time to figure it out again, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> awesome. Well, John, uh, great album, uh, great talk, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best in the future. Thank, and... Thanks so much, man. Happy Happy holidays to you, and same to you. Look forward to Thank talking you. to you again. Awesome. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.